Welcome to Red's Barbershop, the place to hang out and talk about hoops. This episode of Red's Barbershop is brought to you by our sponsors, Third Eye Consulting and Coastal Plains Insurance of the Lowcountry. Now, hop in the chair because here are your hosts, Justin Jarrett and Tony Red Bruin. Hey everybody, welcome to Red's Barbershop. It's the place to hang out and talk hoops and I'm Justin Jarrett, uh, chilling on a Thursday night with my man Tony Red Bruin. Uh, everybody knows Red, he's a, a former Syracuse and New York City hoops legend, uh, former McDonald's All-American and, and all-around good dude doing big things in the community here in Bluffton, South Carolina, and uh, we're excited to be bringing you to this podcast. We've, we've set the bar high, Red. We had Seth Greenberg week one. We had Ernie D week two, but in week three, we've got an NBA Hall of Famer and the former mayor of a major American city. We got Dave Bing, the legend, uh, legendary human, and uh, somebody that, that you've really gotten to know and, and appreciate over the years. Yeah, Dave uh, is one of the, 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 guy, the, the guys that, like I said, when he speaks, everybody listens. I was very fortunate um, when he told me that he comes down to Hilton Head a lot and plays golf and that he would love to talk to our kids. And uh, that's what struck me the most. You know, he's talked to me a lot about basketball and stuff like that. But when he told me that he'd be willing to come over to Bluffton from Hilton Head right off the golf course and talk to the kids at the Boys and Girls Club and the kids that's on our basketball team, that just blew me away because, you know, I mean, who does that? He doesn't really know our kids. And he just wants to just share some of this knowledge that he has. Yeah, and, and as folks will see from our interview with him, he's he's an incredible guy. I mean, obviously the basketball uh, awards speak for themselves, his resume. Uh, he was the NBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, he was the uh, J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award winner in 1977, yeah. elected to the Hall of Fame in 1990, uh, one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history in 96, College Basketball yeah. Hall of Fame in 2006, and then just named to uh, the NBA 75th anniversary team. So an, an all-time wow. legend. But then he yeah. went on and started a company with – four people that grew to be a $300 million company and, and was essentially recruited to become the mayor of Detroit when the city was in crisis, which really speaks to the, the, just the esteem that people hold him in there in the city and, and just a, a great guy and a really fun interview. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's somebody that um, no matter who you talk to, they will tell you like how nice a guy is, how he always holds himself, holds himself a certain way how he'll go out of his way to help anybody. Um, you know, he never brags about himself. If you didn't know who he was, you wouldn't know who he was because he's always so unassuming, but always willing to help you or share something with you that could help you uh, if, if you need or you reach out to him. Um, I, 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 I had to ask him, I said, you know, he played the backcourt with Coach Beheim, and, I mean, he played in the NBA for four years. I mean, he ever have the itch to coach, but he knew right from day one when he finished playing it, somebody that would rather be a general manager or something like that, or maybe even own a team or, or talk to NBA players about uh, saving their money for, you know, for after their careers are done or how they get a second career, basketball career is done, stuff like that. So, I mean, he's just a great guy. And um, I'm just happy to get him on and, and, and share him with whoever, you know, would like to, to, to absorb what he has to give you. Yes, and he has a lot to give, so uh, let's get into it. We'll, we'll hear a few words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Dave Bing here on Red's Barbershop. This episode of Red's Barbershop is presented by Third Eye Consulting, LLC and Coastal Plains Insurance of the Lowcountry. 
Our friend Peter Haber and Third Eye Consulting have a proven track record of providing homeowners associations, condo boards, landlords, and property owners with solutions that actually work. Peter has a proven track record of positive results and dedication to his clients' needs. Visit him today at thirdeyeconsultingllc.com and tell him you heard about him at Red's Barbershop. And our friend Mark McDonald and Coastal Plains Insurance of the Lowcountry provide an independent insurance agency serving the coastal communities of South Carolina, not only with great coverage at the best rates, but also by giving back to the community. For all your insurance needs in coastal South Carolina, visit Coastal Plains Insurance of the Lowcountry at cpilowcountry.com and tell them their name came up at Red's Barbershop. All right, Hoops fans, uh, very honored now to be joined in Red's Barbershop uh, by a, a Hall of Famer and uh, and the former mayor of a major U.S. city, the city of Detroit, Dave Bing. Uh, what an honor to have you on, sir, and uh, and welcome, and, and uh, tell us what you're up to these days. Well, I've got, uh, I'm basically retired, but uh, I've got about 87 uh, little boys here in the city of Detroit who uh, come from a single-parent home. Uh, they're in the Detroit public schools where they're having a, a major problem from an education standpoint. So what we've done is put a program together where we match our young black boys up uh, with a black man. So there's one-on-one -on -one monitoring, and uh, the it's been working, and I'm in my seventh year, and we have a 100% graduation rate. Wow, that's wow. that's impressive right there. What's what's the name of that day? What's the name of that program you started? It's the Bing Youth Institute, and okay. I started that right after I got out of office. Okay. All right. Wow, one hundred percent. Still doing uh, big things for the for the community there in Detroit, and um, you know, obviously that's that kind of became home for you because of of your. Uh, your great run there with the Pistons. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your, you know, your journey through basketball and, and uh, you know, kind of how you, you got started, I guess, and, and what it was that, that kind of captured you and, and you were able to run with and have such a great career. Well, I was very fortunate, born and raised in Washington, D.C., which, uh, you know, when I was a youngster, it was uh, outside of New York and maybe Chicago and L.A. Uh, it was a mecca. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the first black player in the NBA was Earl Lloyd, who was yeah. from uh, the D.C. area. And then one of the greatest players of all time, Elgin Baylor, uh, was I went to the same high school that, that Elgin went to. And they had another uh, guy that went to Syracuse by the name of uh, they call him Sherm. And uh, he, he uh, we we're all from the same high school. Wow. I didn't know the general was from the same high school you went to. I learned something new just now. Wow. Yeah, uh, Sherm was uh, obviously, you know, a few years behind me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he wasn't an acclaimed, outstanding player uh, in high school. But once he got mm -hmm. to Syracuse, I mean, he, oh, yeah. he changed the game up there quite a bit. And, yes, he did. you know, he's, he's been very, very successful. Definitely. He, he's... he's he, he seemed to come out of nowhere. You know, I mean, people said that we had a nice player coming in by the name of Sherman Douglas, but I don't think anybody had any idea the level of uh, talent that Sherman Douglas came into Syracuse with. You know, he kind of took everybody by a storm. 
he happened to play uh, with some pretty good players. I mean, yeah, he had, yeah. he had, uh, uh, he had Derek Pearl, Coleman. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he had Billy Owens. Yeah. Um, he had, uh, uh, what was he, the, the left-handed kid. I'm, I'm trying to think of his name now. LaFondre Ellis that played with him for a little while too, maybe? Yes, yes. I mean, yeah. he played mm -hmm. with three guys uh, yeah. that all went into the NBA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sherman. Sherman was. Uh, that also, helps. Um, uh, well, tell me a little bit about how you guys got to know each other and and what your relationship has been. Obviously, the Syracuse connection. Uh, you know, we we know that runs deep. But um, you know, how did you get acquainted with each other, and and how has your relationship blossomed over the years? Well, I you know um, with Tony when when he came up to Syracuse. Um, the program was, you know, at its pinnacle. It was really high. And um, I had a chance to go up and see him play. He played on a really great team. And uh, he, he's done uh, extremely well for himself, not only as a basketball player, but then he returned back to his home area and doing some really good things there. So, you know, there's a brotherhood at, at Syracuse like almost no other school, maybe Duke, but uh, our Syracuse guys stick together and really support yeah. each other. So I'm yeah. really happy to see Tony yeah. doing what he's doing outside of basketball. Yeah, Jess, I got to tell you, you know, how we have the alumni games and we try to get back when we can according to our schedules and everything. And uh, the few times that I did get a chance to talk with, uh, with Dave, I mean, he just blew me away. He's not one of those guys that says a lot. But when he does talk, you know, it's almost like E.F. Hutton. Everybody stops to listen because it means something, you know. And uh, one of the things that he said to me that's probably uh, – I'm, I'm not sure if he even knows it – that meant probably anything more than he could have told me about basketball was that he was familiar with our area, with the Hilton Head area, and he comes down and he plays golf. And that the next time he comes, he would call me and he would love to come talk to my kids at the Boys and Girls Club or the kids that we have on our travel team and – give him a little bit of his experience and knowledge and some words of wisdom. And, and that meant, I mean, just as much to me as anything that he probably could have schooled me on basketball wise, just the fact that he was willing to do that, you know, I mean, he, Heck you know, yeah, NBA Hall of Famer, first team all NBA. And, you know, you're going to come down and play some golf and take your time to come talk to some kids that you don't know that. I mean, that's big, you know, who does that? Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, that's a huge testament uh, to you, Dave, and uh, we'd love to have you come down and, and you know, maybe we were already talking to uh, to Ernie D last week about some kind of a Reds barbershop golf outing here in Hilton Head, so we'll definitely have to get you in on that, but uh, tell me about how you decided to go into politics, because, um, you know, that's a... Uh, that's something that you occasionally see an athlete do uh, after their career, but but not really common. Um, so I'm interested in, in what your motivation was and, and what kind of attracted you to to try to run for public office and, and then become the mayor of Detroit. Well, I came to Detroit right after, uh, you know, being drafted out of Syracuse uh, back in 1966. And I remained in Detroit uh, my whole life and I'm still here now, my adult life. Um you know, I, after 12 years in the NBA, um, I was able to, uh, uh, to start my own business. And I did that for 29 years, and I was heavily involved in the community. I grew a company from a startup uh, with four people to a company uh, that, that had about 1,300 employees and over 300 million uh, in sales. Uh, wow. And we were in the steel business and the car industry. 
And uh, a lot of the things that I did in our community connected me with so many people. And so when our former mayor, a uh, young, young guy by the name of Kwame Kilpatrick, got into a lot of trouble and had to be really removed from office, um, the business community and the community at large came to me and said, we need somebody like you to run the city because you know the city, uh, people trust you, they know that you're going to try and do the right thing to help people. I never thought I was going to be a politician. And, and, and even when I got in office, I don't think I was a politician. I was more of a business person. And our city was in really big financial trouble. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on the business acumen that I brought to the, to the mayor's office, I was able to help us uh, get over some of the struggles that we were having financially. But I was 64 years old uh, when I went into office, and uh, I, I really didn't look at uh, that as a second career for me, actually mm -hmm. a third career, because my second yeah. career was in business. Uh, right. But I did it, and, and, and it was a tough time, the, the toughest four and a half years that I think I've had in my life here in the city of Detroit. But it was well worth the effort because we definitely right. made made some uh, improvements in the city. That 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 brings me to my next question. I read uh, a while back like some great things that were going on in Detroit. You know, they were bringing some uh, some restaurants and small cafes. They were rehabbing some of the buildings that had got shut down during the housing crisis and stuff like that. Is that still going on now? Is there a revitalization of Detroit? Is that still going strong, or has it hit some snags, or? Is there anything you can tell me about that? I know you yeah, were involved. The revitalization, in I think, is ongoing. Uh, I mm -hmm. mean, we we came out of bankruptcy uh, as a mm -hmm. city, and uh, that was like 12 years ago. And right. uh, things are definitely getting much better. I mean, mm -hmm. when I was in office uh, starting in 2009, um, the automotive industry was going through a really downturn. So it was tough. Right. Then the housing industry also was going through a downturn. And here we were, a city uh, with close to, you know, when I came here, we had 1.4 million people in the city. When I took office, we had right around 700,000 people in the city. So we lost half of our population. Wow. But a lot of the population left the city and went to the suburbs. So the mm -hmm. city was left with an unbelievable, ugly tax base. And right. uh, like you said, a lot of housing, like when you lose that many people, you know, those mm -hmm. houses are empty. And right. uh, so that was a major, major problem that is now starting mm -hmm. to come back. Um, you know, the I business, saw that. Yeah, yeah, the business community really made some huge commitments and made some investments. And uh, it's mm -hmm. all starting to pay off now. Good, good. I saw that. I, I, I was saying that I think they went even as far as to say, like, Detroit might be the place to start investing in again. You know, I mean, obviously, right now, the economy is going through a little something. But, um, you know, take away from that, uh, Detroit might be coming back to its heyday again. <laughs> Well, I don't think we'll ever get back to a million plus people. It's surely not mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there are there are second and third generation kids that are now starting mm -hmm. to come back to the city because right. it's, it's kind of a hip place, uh, you know, to right. start your business as an entrepreneur. So yes. uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really going in the right direction right now. Uh -huh. Do they have programs that if you want to try to get those houses and do something with them and get them back on the tax roll? And uh, or, or is that still a ways to go? Or what do you think? 
No, I, I think, um, you know, we had to demolish quite a few homes because they were mm -hmm. in just disrepair. But mm -hmm. those that are left and the ones that we're rehabbing, uh, you know, people, um, the housing market has really strengthened in the city of Detroit. I mean, we had mm -hmm. something like a 25 or 30 percent increase in mm -hmm. home valuations over the last yeah. two years. Yeah, so well, all of a sudden where, yeah. where people mm -hmm. were, were looking to leave Detroit, now people are trying to come back in. So right. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it'll take a long term to, to make a lot of the corrections that we need to make. Right. Well, that's, I, that's, that's I, I have hear. a good buddy from uh, from Detroit. So I reached out to him, uh, Mike Bragg down here in Bluffton, South Carolina, see if he had any questions for you, because I knew he would. So, you know, mm -hmm. he wanted to know what was harder work, becoming an NBA superstar or being the mayor of Detroit. You already told us. Four and a half years as the mayor was the hardest time of your life. So, uh, what's your favorite Coney dog? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't eat a lot of Coney dogs. I'll be very <laughs> honest with you. But the American Coney uh, uh, is Lafayette is probably the nicest uh, Coney dog that uh, that we have in the city of Detroit. Lafayette has been around for a long, long time. And a lot of people that eat Coney dogs will tell you Lafayette is the place to go. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Just, well, we I don't know if you know this, but I can tell you from the last alumni game where I was there and Dave was there, he's still got to be close to his playing weight. I mean, he's in unbelievable shape. So I'm not really sure how many Coney dogs he's been eating. <laughs> what, are you doing? what are you doing to stay in such good shape, Dave? Uh, I like to tell people that I work out all the time, but that'd be a lie. I mean, it's all, <laughs> it's hereditary. I mean, I got to give it to my mother wow. and father. Uh, Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I played, I, I stopped playing at 188, 190. Mm -hmm. I'm 6'3", and today I'm about uh, maybe 198 to 200. So I have not gained yeah. a lot of weight, but yeah. the little bit of weight that I gained is in the wrong place. It'd it probably take them about three weeks to be back in game shape, Josh. <laughs> I, I'm you not crazy, Tony. I, I got to give that up. I leave it alone. Um, I better try to stick to golf. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's God given. God bless you on that one. I I mean, I eat a hamburger. You can see it the next day. I mean, it's just crazy. But um, <laughs> I, I got to ask you. You know, playing the backcourt with Coach and seeing the things that he's done with Syracuse. I mean, I heard when you said you had a 300 million plus business, you never got the itch or the urge to maybe coach some of these kids that you that you work with or something like that. Or once you finished playing, you just wanted to see what you could uh, build in, in the business world. Well, you know, I really never wanted to coach. I thought if I would stay in, in the sport, uh, that would mm. it would be as a general manager. But okay. when I got okay. out of basketball, there was only one black general manager. And wow. uh, that was Wayne Emery. And and so um, I knew that that was not a future for me. So I prepared myself yeah. in the offseason. I worked every offseason because unlike mm -hmm. guys today, they make so much money. They don't have to worry about working and have additional income. Right. But right. I trained right. myself uh, for about nine years uh, when I was mm -hmm. here. And mm -hmm. I worked in the bank for seven years and I worked in a car company over at Chrysler for a couple of years, just trying to learn the business. So when uh -huh. I was finished with basketball, I was ready mm -hmm. to start my own business. And so, you know, 1980, um, I started mm -hmm. and uh, I, I, I ran my company for 29 years and had a lot of success. Wow. wow. That, that's just yeah. great. That's great, man. 
That's incredible. I and in fact, I saw that you were uh, you were once named the the National Minority Small Business Person of the Year back in 1984. So, uh, congratulations on that honor. That's fantastic. And uh, you mentioned that that you kind of wanted to be a GM, but but really. Um, you know, the prospects for a black man to become a GM at that time were, were slim to none. Um, and, hey, and we're still seeing yeah. some of that in, you Anthony. know, in the NBA, uh, in the NFL, um, you know, we're seeing problems with, with uh, black coaches not getting the opportunities they deserve. Uh, where do you feel we are on that? And, and uh, you know, how, how far do we have to go? Well, I still think we got a ways to go. I think the NBA, uh, as an organization, uh, is probably way, way ahead of baseball, hockey, and football. But I don't think we can be satisfied simply because we've got, you know, more black coaches. we got a few black general managers. The league is probably at least 70% African-American. And, you know, when you look at the 30 franchise cities, um, you know, you have you have to say that we have not truly arrived yet, and so you shouldn't get satisfied with having a couple of coaches, having a couple of uh, general managers. One of the things that I I hope would happen with so many of our guys being so successful is that they may reach out and one day start looking at ownership, because I think that is really where it is. Because then you make all the final decisions yep. relative to who you're going to hire, who you're going to fire, what kind of team you want to uh, put together. So I think that's a, extremely important. Yeah, I, I would agree with you uh, entirely on that. And, you know, I think you, you've seen more inroads in, in that uh, with basketball than, than with the other sports. So I think you're right. The NBA is a, a little bit of, a more ahead of the curve, and hopefully some of those other leagues will will follow suit and, and NBA will continue to kind of blaze the trail on that. But um, to, to kind of go back to your, your, uh, your business and, and political realm, um, what are some of the things that, that you felt like you uh, learned or, or took with you from your career uh, as a basketball player that really helped you to become such a successful businessman and then a, a successful mayor in, in a major city? Well, I think a lot of it starts with the kind of education that you got. And I think Tony would probably agree with me. You know, Syracuse did provide us with a quality education that allowed us to go into the next phase of our lives. So, um, but basketball was, was a key because, you know, basketball is a team sport. You know, unlike golf, unlike tennis, you got teammates. And regardless of how good you may be as, uh, as a basketball player, you're only going to be as good as your teammates allow you to be. And so, um, uh, you know, you, you got to understand what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And you can never get a big head uh, because yeah. it's, it's all about people. It's all about teamwork. And those are things that I learned in basketball. And I was able to take uh, a lot of those learnings into business and into politics. It's, it's a people world. And uh, if you don't know how to communicate and respect people and depend on people to do their own thing uh, at their pace, um, they're not going to be successful. And so it all started with basketball, understanding that it's a team game and uh, you, you, you're not going to win the game by yourself. Exactly. Amen. Okay. I just want to say, I mean, I, I'm learning so much here and I want to thank you for the time you 
you, you've given to us tonight. I just got like two quick questions, and then um, just as anything, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm really happy for the information that you're giving our viewers, the experience. Out of the teams that you played with, Dave, the Pistons, the Bullets, the Boss, you know, the Celtics, what would you say are like maybe some of the similar or most different experiences that you've had, um, like maybe with the team, the city, the way the players are treated and, and, and similar things like that for like basketball fans, the type of stuff they would like to know? You know, I, I'm biased because my first nine years were here in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And um, so even though I played two years in Washington, which is my hometown, um, it was quite different. So mm -hmm. the relationships that and the friendships uh, that mm -hmm. I established, um, especially in Detroit, um, mm -hmm. are lifelong. I mean, I still... Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm in contact with, with guys that I played with. Uh, we, we do things together. Our families kind of grew up together. So right. I saw that in Detroit. I didn't necessarily see that in, in either Washington or in Boston. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm biased, I'm sure, mm -hmm. uh, because most of my career was in Detroit, and that's where I am mm -hmm. now. A lot of right. people would say to me, you know, how, you know, Washington is such a great area. Mm -hmm. When you played, why did you move back to your hometown? Mm -hmm. Well, it was an easy decision for me because my first nine years in Detroit, I met so many good people and I had so many opportunities. I knew this was the right place for me. But, uh, right. uh, you know, as I look back once again, even um, I got great friendships with guys that I played with uh, in Washington and the one year in Boston. So back then we were friends, we were competitors, but we were friends. And right. I'm, I'm concerned today that a lot of these guys, uh, some of them, because they make so much money, uh, they never get acclimated and uh, to the friendships that are so important from their teammates. Uh -huh. But that, that goes back to, and that brings me to my final question we're saying these guys make so much money, but yet then so many of them end up broke. And like you were saying, even though there was nowhere near the money when you were playing, um, would have been a time when I was, might've been playing. I mean, and you, and you worked, you worked a job during the off season. What, what advice would you give guys uh, now? Like how to, you know, to retain the hold on to that money or maximize it or increase it. I mean, not just lose it, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not to say that they're going to listen because, you know, it, you can tell somebody whatever, you know, whatever you tell them. It's just, you know, how they how they uh, retain it and what they use with the with the knowledge that you give them is, is going to what makes the difference. But, you know, what would you say to them? You know, well, I think, you know, we, we started myself, Oscar Robertson, Dave Cowens, Dave DeBush and Archie Clark. Uh, 30 years ago, we started the Retired Players Association because uh, we thought we needed a vehicle to help a lot of guys who had made a lot of mistakes, had not made a lot of money. And uh, as you say, you know, we're kind of down on themselves. Uh, right. After you finish, you know, you have a, a great NBA career. Mm -hmm. And you, you very few guys um, play beyond the age of 30. So you're right. still a very young person. And if you haven't prepared yourself to do something else, um, it, it's a it's a cold world out here. So we thought mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of guys who, who didn't have insurance, who didn't have a pension plan, we were starting to mm -hmm. look at guys who were just floundering. 
And now, right. 30 years later, um, mm -hmm. the Retired Players Association is going strong. And we uh -huh. give a lot of advice to the players mm -hmm. of today. But once uh -huh. again, the players of today got so many people around them that they're listening to. And sometimes they don't get the best advice. Right. And uh, right. hopefully, once again, you know, pro sports or sports in mm -hmm. general is a brotherhood. And mm -hmm. we try to, you know, help each other uh, as much as we can. So as a retired player, when I get a chance to talk to an active player, or a young player, you know, you try mm -hmm. to give them the best advice that you can give them. But a lot of times they don't listen. And, right. uh, you know, so they, they, they wind Has up. Has the NBA ever asked you to come in and talk with some guys today? Has the NBA ever asked you to come in and, and talk with some guys, knowing the, the business that you had and that you built? Yes, I have done that quite a bit, as a matter of fact. And I would say that the... Uh, the leadership uh, in the NBA has been very supportive uh, of the uh, of the former players, of the retired players. So they do look at some guys and bring them back in and talk to the young guys before they uh, actually get in the league. And I think that's a positive. But once again, when you're making, you know, so many million dollars a year, uh, right, a lot right. of the advice that you give these guys go in one ear and out the other. <laughs> out the other, right, right. They got it all figured out, right? They made exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, one other interesting thing that I read about you is that uh, they used to whip up on Marvin Gaye on the basketball court, and then you guys became friends. So I, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah, we grew up in the same neighborhood. And, uh, you know, uh, Marvin really uh, at the recreation center where we grew up, uh, he would come and he wasn't good enough to play with a lot of the players because we had just an <laughs> unbelievable amount of players uh, in the D.C. area. And so Marvin would uh, when he wasn't chosen to play in a game, he'd go to the sidelines and he would sing and we would hear him and everybody said he had a great voice and whatever. Um, and then when he left the area and came to Detroit, uh, when I got here, he was already a big star. So we kind of reunited. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, needless to say, he was one of the greatest uh, uh, songsters that, that you've ever heard. And, yeah. and uh, so, yeah. yeah, Marvin was a great, yeah. he was a good guy, but he was not a good basketball player. <laughs> Everybody learned wow. something today. We can update his Wikipedia page now and say he was Definitely. not a good basketball player. Uh, well, Definitely. Dave Bing, thanks so much, man. Uh, what a what a fantastic life you've had. Uh, not just your career oh, yeah. as a basketball player, but you know, as a businessman, as a philanthropist, as a politician. Uh, not really Done a politician, a public servant, we should say. Um, yeah, we appreciate you, and and uh, we look forward to to seeing what you do the rest of the way, and and talking to you down the road. Well, thank you so very much. You guys take care of Tony down there because he's a special kind of guy. <laughs> thank you so yes, much, Dave. Really We're trying to keep you. him on track. I can't wait to see you down here. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for your All time. Right. Okay. Thanks a lot, Tony. Take care of yourself. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, my brother. All right. We'll be right back with more here on Red's Barbershop. Well, Red, uh, what what an absolute treat to be able to talk with uh, an absolute legend, uh, not only of the basketball court, but but of life, man. Dave Bing, yeah. uh, what what an incredible guy. He's done so much and, and gives back so much and continues to do so. Um, you know, you, you have to feel really fortunate for your paths to have crossed all those years ago at Syracuse, man. Definitely. I mean, he's one of the nicest guys. You know, we go to the alumni game, and like I was saying um, – Today, if he doesn't say much, 
But when he speaks, it's like Ear Putnam. I mean, everybody listens to what he has to say because they know he's so knowledgeable. I mean, he was, you know, he was a mayor of a major city. You know, he played in the NBA for 12 years. He ran a business that had a value of $300 million at one time. I mean, he's had enough, you know, he's lived like five people's lifetimes and careers and stuff, you know. Just imagine that the wealth of knowledge that you can learn from him, and, and he's willing to give it to you if you listen and if you want to accept it. Well, yeah, and I mean, uh, as a testament to that, he every time he talks to you, he offers to come down here and, and talk to your kids. So, um, you know, yeah. he's always just willing to give of himself. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe in the giver's gain philosophy that when you give of yourself, it, it comes back to you, uh, you know, many times over. And, and certainly Dave Bing has uh, has lived that philosophy to a T. So um, what a cool thing. And, and once again, I'm, I'm always just honored to – be along for the ride here uh, that you gave me this opportunity to, to help you bring this thing to fruition and have the opportunity to, to talk to these uh, incredible people every week. And, and we've really set the bar high here, man. So the pressure's oh, well, on for you to, to keep them coming. Yeah, I, I got to keep it up, but I got to tell you, I couldn't have done all of this without you. This is your expertise. This is your zone. I feel so comfortable in it where I can do my thing. I just got to follow your lead and you have, you know, you have all the tools at our disposal and I, and I can't thank you enough for making this happen for me for us <laughs> yeah man it's been awesome uh looking forward to seeing where it goes and and we'll keep trying to tweak it and make it better as we go uh but hope people are enjoying it and uh because i'm certainly enjoying the heck out of it and uh hope we can keep going for a long time so uh who you got Definitely. lined up for us next week red um i've got to get uh, get a hold back of Derek. he's been dying to get with us you know and uh just got to tr- track him down you know how Derek is he'd be jet sitting all over the place but I want to keep the Detroit thing going since we just had uh, Dave and, and, and get D- big DC Derek Coleman on next. All right. So uh, we're going to try to get DC reeled in for next week. Uh, should be another great show. Really looking forward to it. And uh, thanks so much to our sponsors, uh, Third Eye Consulting LLC and Coastal Plains Insurance of the Low Country. Always looking for more sponsors to support the show. And uh, you can also do it ind- individually over at patreon.com slash Red's Barbershop. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, yeah, we need to get some uh, some support coming in so we can keep this thing going. Uh, you know, keep keep food on Red's table and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, keep a little in his pocket so he can go have some fun yeah, on the weekend. It, but It, it costs to run this, you know. We got we to get it edited just right. That's right. And, and we, and we want to be able to give some back, too, and, you know, maybe help out your program over at the Boys and Girls Club in Bluffton or some other local charities or something like that. So uh, we hope to get a lot more uh, support coming out as we continue uh, to put out this podcast. So thanks so much for tuning into this one. Uh, looking forward to the next one with Derek Coleman in the chair. So that's going to do it. Lights out. Red's Barbershop. Yeah, yeah.